All right, fine, let's go. Okay, yep, yep. All right, here we go. Hey everyone, and welcome to Chef AJ Live. I'm your host, Chef AJ, and this is where I introduce you to amazing people like you who are doing great things in the world that I think you should know about. Well, today is the first Monday of the month. It's Labor Day. Happy Labor Day. And it means it's time for McDougal Monday, where he will answer your questions today. And Dr. John McDougal is receiving the Luminary Award this Sunday. There are still tickets, September 10th. Palm Desert at the Marriott at the Plantrician Conference, and you should go because this is a lifetime achievement. Welcome, Dr. John McDougall. Well, I'm glad I'm glad to hear there are tickets, AJ. You know, I've recruited people off the street to come and be part of the audience to clap for me. <laughs> well, I, will, really, I, but, but I have I have gotten a lot of family members to join in. Well, Dr. Uh, McDougall, I'll be the first one leaping to my feet. I got a new dress that I'm going to wear. Just Oh, so you're going to be there, AJ. Well, that'll make it all worthwhile to come. I, You'll get a chance to meet my sister. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and and my, my grandson, Jason, will be there. I can't wait. This will be all McDougall. My, my son and his daughter-in-law will be there. And my daughter I, I, will be there. Heather, I've but met Craig. I've met Mary. I've the met. last time anybody's going to say anything nice about me, so I better show up. I hope they have some nice things to say. Anyway, okay. it's going to be next Sunday. But the, which brings me to a problem, AJ. And I thought we we could spend part of the hour you and I talking about this. But if it doesn't go anyplace, it's okay. It's a dilemma I have, and that is I'm going to be giving a talk on Sunday night, next Sunday, on the 10th of September, 2023 at the Plantrician Conference. I'm gonna be giving a talk about my life in the sense of what I've learned about diet and how I've learned it. And I go through some past discussions, some videos that I've shown to you and the audience. I've shown videos of Dennis Burkett and videos of uh, Nathan Pritikin and videos of Roy Swank and discussed uh, Walter Kemper, who I've talked about so often. And these are my four mentors. So I'm gonna tell them about how I learned the things in the past. I'm gonna tell them about uh, the Surgeon General's report that came out in 1977. That was a big impact on me. And a few other things that came out. It wasn't surgery. It was the McGovern report in 1977. And Surgeon General report that came out in 85 by Sierra Coop. And, you know, a few other things. So, you know, what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell them that what was caused me in the past to get to where I am today. But the problem I'm having is to tell them about the future, AJ. Because, you know... You got to have your head buried in the sand to think that it's going to be easy for us in the future. And that's maybe the way I should say it. You have to have your head buried in the sand, or you have to be a climate denier, or you have to be an atomic war denier, or you have to be an infectious disease denier, or a riots in the street denier. I mean, there are so many things that are facing us in the future. How do I turn this into a positive talk where the audience will feel like they can leave on an up note because it's all so depressing. But you know, Chef AJ, I think we can win. And I'm gonna tell you why during this presentation, why I think that people can save ourselves. And I'm gonna talk about the role of lifestyle medicine physicians, you know, the people at the Plantrician Conference. Uh, but, you know, tell me, Chef AJ, or audience or whatever, tell me what you'd like to hear positive and not some silly stuff, okay? Not like aliens coming from outer space and saving us. I don't wanna hear that. But uh, any positive things you can think about in terms of what we can do 
to make our home livable. Because right now things are not looking very good. But you know, I, I can't have my grandson sitting in the audience at 19 years old hearing that his future is bleak without some out. He's got to have some positive note that keeps him, you know, enjoying life and, and you know, striding ahead. It's like the people did during, during World War II. But for my parents, it had to be really, really difficult. But they all came to the task. And they saved democracy. They saved our way of life during World War II. Can we do that again? You know, during World War One, the uh, during World War One, the people in Denmark all changed to a vegan diet. Three million of them. Can we do that again? You know, uh, what what are the tools that we have? What do you see as as an optimism for all of us? And what do you see as the possible optimism in terms of what a medical doctor might do? I mean, how do I tell these young, and they are young because I'm 76 years old. How do I tell these young men and women, uh, you know, because I've lived 76 years, what I've learned and what I see, and I cannot leave them on a negative note. It does no good at all. In fact, I build a website about diet and climate change, which is off offers only message of optimism. Doesn't have any negative messages on that whole website. It's at mcdougallfoundation.org. And so that's what I want to present to them is I want them to walk out of that auditorium thinking, yeah, I realize things are tough. I knew that before I walked in to hear Dr. McDougall talk. But I can see where I can play a role as a doctor, and, you know, to help my fellow human beings. That's what I'm faced with for next Sunday night. And Boy, oh boy, if any of you have any thoughts on what you'd like to communicate, don't tell me we're going to plant enough trees. Don't tell me we're going to have carbon capture machines. It's like talking about aliens. You know, tell me about things that are practical that we can really do. Don't tell me you're a climate denier. I don't even want to talk to you. Good grief. Go away. Go back to the, you know, medieval, but even worse, go back before they thought that the planet was, Earth was flat. I don't want to hear from you. All right, AJ. Well, how about that for opening hour? What well, would you like to talk about yesterday about Hans? Well, yeah, you were passionate, and I really appreciate it because you it's, you really prepared what you were going to say about him and included the video, and it was just it was really lovely. It was just so professional, and it was beautiful. And yeah, th thank you. I think they're going to do something for him too at the plantrician conference. Not 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 like well, a big deal like should, you. Sure yeah. Well, that video I had of him, AJ. You know, I did that video. And I did that on a lot of people, you know, people that I thought would really carry on into the 21st century. And I mean, I, I warned people ahead of time, you know, turn off your screen, you know, because you're going to be confronted with Hans Deal in a way that you probably have never seen him before. And I put that video up on him and it, he just walked right into their living room. It was an amazing video. You know, and I want you to know, I found that video one minute before we went on. I had forgotten about it. I was going to show the other one on uh, the Lifetime Achievement Award I got at, uh, at ACLM in 2019 when Hans was the host for that award. That's, that's what I was going to show. And then all of a sudden I thought, you know, I did a video of Hans Deal. I took him in my back room with my professional team of, uh, of camera people. 
And I set him up and I had him talk right into the screen to people, not knowing that he wouldn't be with us, but knowing there was a time when all of us won't be with who's ever in the future. And I wanted to leave that legacy. And boy, did I tell you that that film, I watched that thing for no more than 30 seconds. And I go, my God, I don't know whether I should show this or not. I mean, Hans will walk right in their living room. It will be bigger than life. And he was. That's what that film showed. And that's what happens when you do a professional photography session with somebody like Hans Deal. You don't want to mess around. That's so neat how you captured everybody, Dr. McDougal. I got a lot of them. I don't think I got you, though. Did I? I did that talk, you know, one time in 2000. Oh, man, that was so good. Yeah. And you're the one that encouraged me to do it. I I was really nervous. And you 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 would have been a great Hollywood producer, Dr. McDougal. Well, you know, Chef AJ, you kept telling me, you kept coming back and you said you're going to talk about protein. And then no, you're going to calorie talk- density, but you already had somebody yeah, do that. Calorie density. Yeah. And I said, you're not an expert on that. You're only an expert on one thing. And I kept telling you that. There's only one thing you're an expert on, that's Chef AJ. And that's what I want you to talk about. And boy, it was one of the best presentations we've ever had. And I don't say that with any any flattery at all. This I really mean it, Jeff AJ. That was a game changer for people. So you you responded. I just ask you to do it. Thank you. This is what I want to see. I want to see. I want to learn about Chef AJ. <laughs> boy, boy, if you haven't seen that film, go to my website. Yeah. and you you look at the Chef AJ. You're going to sit down for an hour and you're going to be in tears and laughter. Thank you. It was amazing. Hey, Dr. McDougal. Yeah, we, got, we got a lot of great people on those weekends, uh, Chef AJ. Oh, we got... They were the best. I almost wish you would do them again, you know? Yeah, you know, it's my time's past. That's what I have to share with people is it's it's okay. gone. You know, I've done my I've done my job. I still know a lot of things. I kind of look at uh, you know, the the political scene a little bit. We got a couple of old old candidates for presidency, and at least one of them says that yeah, I may be old but I got a lot of experience. And, you know, that's kind of in the mood that I'm in these days is, you know, I can't keep up with all the new crap. And it is crap, by the way, but it's just, it just leads me not to keep up with it. Uh, yeah, there are some good things in medicine and science, but they're few and far between. Most of it's hype. Most of it's selling you drugs that you should, shouldn't be taken because they do you more harm than good, but better yet, they're due to dietary diseases, which you can fix like your inflammatory arthritis, is your diabetes, your obesity. Oh, I'll tell you. Hey, Dr. And, and anyway, oh, go ahead. No, you I, go I, ahead. I'm, I'm just curious, what are you going to wear for your presentation? A Patrick James shirt? Uh, you know, I haven't picked out the shirt. I picked out the pants and I'm going to wear a sports coat. And wow. I haven't decided on a tire yet, not, uh, not yet. But um, I'm going to go up there with a full beard, though. That's okay. It looks great. It looks terrific. Yeah. It really well, does. you know, I, 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 there, I, there are some concerns I have a little bit about it. You know, I haven't lectured in public for five years, so this will be a big deal. This will be likely the last time I lecture in public, too. Right, the last time wasn't the last time when you got the ACLM award. It was the last time. That was in uh, two thousand October two thousand nineteen. The last time I've been in front of the public. Wow. Well, you're going to be great. You know, it was a lot of things, including ep- uh, the uh, COVID epidemic. But there are a lot of things going on in my personal life that uh, caused me to take a break. Yeah. You know, there's I almost, re- I almost retired, AJ. I almost <laughs> retired. I thought, boy, this guy's had it. He's over the hill. I might as well forget it. 
And, yeah. uh, but I did. I actually sent in my retirement letter to uh, Oregon State University or the Oregon where my license is in Oregon. And then they wrote back to me and they said, well, you realize if you're going to retire from one state, we notify all the other states that you have licenses and you'll be retired in all states. But you have six months to uh, call back your letter of resignation if you'd like to do that. So, you know, it was like five and a half months, you know, they were done in the last two weeks. And I said, you know what, I guess I'm not going to retire. And I wrote him a letter and said, I'm not going to retire. So I'm still fully licensed in almost every state in the country. Yeah. That's amazing. Because of reciprocity and everything. I've got, I've got licenses in Oregon and California, Hawaii, Minnesota. And that gives me reciprocity to 35 states. And so I've got a license in almost every state. Well, you know, there's people coming just to see you for the day, like Esther and Bev Loveridge that are driving down there. People oh, that's nice. I, I, I look forward to it. I, you know, I'm going to be busy, but I have most of the day is Sunday to kind of socialize with people and talk to them. And Mary and I are going to be hanging around on Sunday most of the day. Nice. Some of the day on Saturday. We're actually doing a filming for Ocean Robbins. Right. I got in on that, too. I'm so excited. Yeah. Yeah. I hope, I hope it's, it's good. Yeah, he does good stuff. Well, if you wouldn't mind answering a few questions that were submitted, the first one is from Fran, and she says, Dr. McDougal, I'm relocating to the Portland area. I've been plant-based and following you for years, and I've even taught chip classes in Wisconsin. I'm in need of a new PCP doctor, preferably internal medicine. Do you have any recommendations? I saw that your son's practice is full, yeah. and I'm 73. Well, he'll take good care of you. He's at Oregon. Uh, Health and Science University, OHSU. He's a professor there. She says but he has full. It's full. She says his practice. That's what I was going to tell you. It's full. Yeah. But you know, sometimes if you mention my name, he's <laughs> an influence. I would give it another try and say that you know, give me your credentials. Tell him you you follow the chip program. You follow Doctor McDougall, and you just know other doctors acceptable, and you want to see. Craig McDougall, but there are probably there are a few other doctors in the Kaiser system that you could see that would help you. But Craig has been well trained in diet therapy. I'll tell you another place you can go. You go see my brother in Brookings, Oregon. Wow. Have you ever met? You remember? You met my he, brother. I haven't met him. Is he going to come to the ceremony? No, he's not going to be there. He's probably the only family member that's not going to be there. But my um, my brother used to take care of patients for us when we ran these uh, weekends. Uh, we ran weekends for Whole Foods and uh, weekends for a telecommunication company. And we had like 150, 200, well, maybe 150 people there. And they, I had to see all those people. You know, I couldn't. So we had Dr. Clapper and uh, Alona Paldi and Matt Letterman and Bill McDougall and Don Forrester. And, you know, we had a lot of other doctors come in and see the patients with me. And so they're all well trained into getting people off drugs. So, you know, Don Forrester's out of business. Uh, uh, Alona Paldi and Matt Letterman are still in practice in Los Angeles. They might even do a telemedicine practice. I'd look into them. And, uh, you know, my brother, he's just had, has a local practice in Brookings, which is a long way from Portland, I'll tell you. It's like four hours. Does he anyway, follow, uh, does he follow he, your principles, the McDougal doc? Well, he, yeah, he does. He personally lives this way. And he knows how to instruct you. So if you say, look, I don't want the drugs. You know, I want to do what your brother does. He knows what to help you with. So no problem at all. Great. See, it's the same thing with you when you see my son. 
at OHSU. You know, he practices a little bit of both. And he knows dietary therapy and he knows that's the right to do, the right thing to do. But he also knows that a lot of people don't want that. You know, they, they just soon be sick and overweight as to fix the problem. So he has to deal with this, unfortunately, vast majority of people. It is the vast majority, I believe, out there, which, you know, it's just too much for them to make a change. They'd like to be well. They'd like to be off the drugs. they like to live long. They'd like to function and look well. But they just aren't willing to do what it requires to get everything you want. Now, you and I, of course, think it's no big deal because this is the best way in the world to live. But most of the population out there is just too overwhelming. I, you know, I remember when I was first confronted with this idea. I mean, it was in 1970. 1972 or 73. Now, I thought this was crazy. I wasn't going to give up my meat and my pepperoni pizza. There's no way in the world. You know, you couldn't live that way. I'm sure of it. You know, I'm pretty sure you couldn't get enough protein and calcium, too. You know, uh, so I understand where a lot of people come from. And so you have uh, most of the folks out there that are practicing kind of a hybrid medicine if they're doing it at all. And they really don't have the experience, except for the people I mentioned, to take care of you the way that you should be cared for unless you come to our telemedicine program, which is 12 days over the Internet. And then Dr. Lim and I will take care of you for 12 days. Um, and you have Dr. Lim for a doctor and me for a doctor the rest of your life. That's the only way we take patients, by the way. People have to come through either the St. Lena Hospital program I did you know, 20 years ago or the uh, resort program I did 10 years ago, or the telemedicine program I'm doing now. Otherwise, you, you don't join the practice. You know, I don't have any desire for one-night stands, seven-minute offices. <laughs> My goal is to get you to change your life. I only feel good about that. And, and believe me, I get this uh, probably once a week. Somebody writes me and says, you know, I heard you in a lecture 40 years ago at St. Helena Hospital in Honolulu. Or it's uh, St. Francis. That was uh, the last one I got. St. Francis Hospital in Honolulu. And I want you to know, I listened to you and I changed my diet. And here I am, 75, 80, 85 years old. I, uh, you know, my friends have disability stickers. They're dead or they're in assisted living. And I'm just having a great time going on trips, having fun with my grandkids and so on. And I just want to thank you. You know, it seemed a little radical back then, but I listened to what you said. And here I am four decades, five decades later. And, you know, that, that makes me feel good. I felt like I did my job. So, but anyway, that's why they have hybrid practices. Is there anything you miss that you used to eat that you don't eat anymore? Well, you know, yeah, of course I, I like the, and, and, but I do eat it. I don't deprive myself of anything, oh. you know, like for example, probably six times a year I have, I have a, a, a non-dairy ice cream. Oh, okay. Yeah. And and all and, and on Halloween up until recently, because I'm not around any grandkids anymore. Now every Halloween, the grandkids would go out and, and trick or treat for Babe Ruth bars for Grandpa. And that was the <laughs> treat. You know, so I've got seven grandkids out looking for Babe Ruth, and 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 they would bring them back to me, and I'd eat a Babe Ruth bar or two. So yeah, I I eat candy bars. Oh and uh, but I don't eat any animal foods. I, I joke with people about turkey at Thanksgiving. I haven't done that for a long time. So I eat, I don't eat any animal animal products or or I avoid free oils like a plague. 
I know that's probably the reason you haven't received the the Hall of Fame from Vegetarian Summerfest because they I think they take you seriously when you say you eat turkey. Yeah, they do. I got actually got fired from one of their conferences. I told them I said, you know, I said I I, I want to come and make an impression. I said, look, what I'm going to do is this. I said I'm going to be lecturing to 500,000 people, and I'm going to ask you to stand up if you are vegan. Okay, I want everybody to look around at the people next to them and note what you see. And now I want you to sit down if you're happy with your body weight. Uh-oh. Well, that's not going to get you far. Half of the vegans are going to be overweight or obese in that audience. To me, that's a violation of their principles. It condemns them to not being able to convey to the rest of the public the importance of animal rights the importance of saving the planet. If you're talking to somebody who says, oh, you got to save the cows and the pigs and the chickens, but you'll end up looking like me. No, they're not going to buy it. You know, you're, you're standing there obese. You got, you got acne all over yourself. You're, you're sick. Why would somebody, even to save the animals and the planet, why would they sacrifice their health? So anyways, I wanted to deliver a message to the vegans, which they'll never invite me back to, that, it, you know, vegan is one thing, and that's a religion. That's a principle. You, you, you don't, it's not a practicality. You don't have to be vegan to get these results. It's just a matter of it's easier. It's too hard to just do a little bit. But if you just, like I told you, if I, you know, say I did have turkey on Thanksgiving and ham for Christmas and you know, whatever, on my birthday, you think I'd be any more heavy or in bad health than I am now? Come on, let's be real. So anyway, I felt like there was an overwhelming problem with vegans because they're fat, they're fat vegans. I wrote an article in the book called uh, The Start Solution titled The Fat Vegan. I wrote a newsletter 10 years before that called The Fat Vegan. I have to date not heard anybody that was offended by me using the term fat vegan. Never. Dang. They may be quietly saying something about it, but they know I'm telling the truth. And I'm trying to help them. I'm not trying to hurt them. I want them to be able to deliver the message about the planet and the animals. Extremely important messages. In fact, that's basically all I spend my time thinking about anymore is the planetary issues. So, uh, you know, I want them to be uh, good, effective missionaries. And they're not. They're disgustingly, obviously, let me take the word disgustingly back. They may like the way they look. Let's just say for most of society, it's a blemish to be overweight. That's the politically correct way to say it. Most people don't desire to be overweight. How do I know that? Because 40, I was reading this morning in the, in the Washington Post, 46% of the people in Saudi Arabia, in those countries, 46% of the women are obese, and Ozempic is one of the biggest selling, selling products in that, that area of the world. Now, why are 46% of the women obese? Not overweight. No, we're talking about 30, a BMI of 30% or more. In other words, at least half their body weight is fat. Excuse me, at least 30% of their body weight is fat. You're not, you're not supposed to prescribe Ozempic until somebody is obese. And you're not supposed to prescribe surgery until they're morbidly obese, which is a, a BMI of about 39% or better. So 
you know, think about the people who live in that area of the world, in Saudi Arabia, the UAE. Who are we talking about? We're talking about the richest people in the world, eating the richest food in the world, raping our oceans and our lands and our rainforests and so on, so they can be obese and buy Zozempic. Oh, I got off on that track, but I thought that was interesting this morning. 46% of the women in Saudi Arabia are obese. Excuse me, to run around obese and to have to spend $1,000 a month on Ozempic and only get a 17-pound weight loss. Excuse me, a 37-pound weight loss. 37-pound weight loss, it takes you 68 weeks to get that. And then what happens is your body finally says, I have had enough. I can put up with a certain level of sickness, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, stomach pains. I can put up a certain amount of that before I starve to death. And then you hit a plateau. At 68 weeks, you hit a plateau. That's a year point three. You know, that's like less less than a year and a half. You lose your 37 pounds. You spent $17,000. You're done. You hit a plateau. So now you have to buy Ozempic the rest of your life. Or guess what? The plateau is left in the wrong direction. It's just amazing what people, rather than eat, Bean burritos, which is what I had last night for dinner, or oatmeal, which I had this morning for dinner. You know, or, you know, Mary was going to make lasagna because the kids were going to come over last night. We decided not. So we didn't have lasagna and, you know, her her rice and vegetable dishes just outstanding. You know, I love my food. I think this is the, I know, I don't just think, I, I know beyond a doubt. I've been eating this way for, you know, 47 years, probably. This is the best food there is. I just had my 46th anniversary on Friday. Did you? Yeah. I started in 19, I started eating this way in 1977. Me too. September yeah. 1st. What a, what a coincidence. Well, yeah, I, I was think, probably that too. <laughs> you know, I think that, um, I think people get, using the F word now is, is it, it's not, they, they, even I had a doctor correct me once and said, you can't even call someone obese. You have to say someone who suffers with obesity. If people oh. are very sensitive to this topic, you know? Yeah. I, I imagine there's all kinds of, uh, you know, ethnic and racial and adjectives and so on. We're, we're really getting good at defining our terms so we don't offend anybody. Excuse me. You know, it's not good to be obese or sick. You know, sometimes, sometimes they're, they're going to start bragging about having diabetes. How bad is your diabetes? Oh, how much Ozempic do you take? Oh, how much shots of insulin do you take? It's just like they did with heart surgery. Remember the day, maybe they still do it, when people would brag about how many grafts they got when they had open heart surgery. How many grafts did you get? Well, I got three. How many did you get? Eight. I got eight. They brag about being sick. So what was that? How how obese are you? Oh, I'm just 100 pounds overweight. Well, I got you. I'm 120 pounds overweight. I'm I'm bigger, more powerful. I'm more desirable. Then we'll make everybody happy. I don't agree with that. You know, when you're at a weight that detracts from your health and your ability to survive and contribute to society, you you can't be the person that you could have been at that kind of body weight. You can't be as effective for you and your family, your society, being 100 pounds overweight. I don't believe that. I know you don't like it, but I don't think I ever wanted to win a popularity contest. 
Have, I ever, have you ever seen me wanting to wear, wear a popularity contest? No, you, you have a famous line, I would rather be hated than ignored, which like to me, I would not. I'd rather be ignored. But yeah, you're, well, you're listening. Can you see that? How terrible it is to be ignored? I've been ignored for, you know, a long time, for 50 years. Well, you know, the thing- especially yeah. when I'm dealing with, you know, my friends and my family and my community, them suffering horribly. You know, they suffer from damage that is far more severe than would be the damage done by alcohol or heroin or opioids or cocaine. Now, now if we had a, a opioid, opioid addiction problem where 46% of the women suffered from opioid, heroin, uh, you know, codeine, morphine, if 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 forty six percent of the population suffer from these addictions, don't you think we do something? But these kinds of addictions are less destructive to your family, to you, to your community, to the world than are than is a food addiction. Think about the environmental damages you're doing. Think about the harm you're doing to eighty eighty billion animals a year. You know, think about the fact that. 80% of people are overweight or obese, half are set up to die from heart disease or strokes. This is something to brag about? I don't think so. Not in my world, folks. <laughs> you know, I think though with Vegetarian Summerfest there, it's more of an ethical vegan thing and they're really trying to get people to, to go yeah. vegan. I guess they feel that if we don't give them the junk food, they're not gonna wanna be vegan, you know? Well, again, I've never been much for compromise, so I don't understand that point of view. But you have to find a nicer person than I am. Now, Mary, my wife, my partner for uh, 53 years now, she's a pleaser. She, she, you know, if I had let Mary take a hold of the program, she'd probably let you have chocolate ice cream with uh, M&Ms on top and chocolate syrup with a couple of marshmallows. I don't think so. I hope Mary wasn't listening to that one. But, you know, there are just people who who uh, are that way, AJ, and I, it's okay. I'm not trying to cause any criticism. There are people that are paying the ass like I am. You know, I get in your face. I tell you what I know to be true. Yeah. I don't compromise. Yep. You, you take me for what I am, but at least you're not, you're dealing with somebody who's honest. Yeah. So I, let's get back to the baby Ruth. Was that your favorite candy bar more than That's like Snickers? It still is. It still is. If I can get my hands on a baby Ruth, no, don't you send me baby Ruth bars. No, no, I would never send you baby Ruth because as I, as an ethical vegan, I wouldn't buy one, but there is. Send me a, sweet potatoes. Well, let me ask you this though. There is a vegan version. Can I send you that? Can, well, oh, maybe, maybe. I mean, it's, it's not, it's not oh. like. Only two candy bars, AJ. Don't you send me boxes like they're you do making me. I looked it up. They're making me buy the whole box. There is a vegan version. I can make you a healthier version. Maybe I'll just bring it on. Sunday. Have, AJ, if they have 30 in a box, why don't you keep 28 of them? I'm not going to eat it. Oh, well, then don't well, send actually, them. On, don't put them what? in my temptation zone. That's a good idea. You just gave me a great idea. I'll use them for Halloween. Because at okay. least. They're vegan. There you uh, go. There you go. You gotta get get something. But I I have I I know I can do it healthy and I I I can do it healthy without even sugar and I'm gonna work on that and maybe bring it for you Sunday. But back to the questions. This one is from Gunther, Doctor McDougall. You've said that potatoes help out with maintaining eyesight in some cases even improving it. Could the same be said for eating rice? 
Oh yeah, that's that'd be fine. You got plenty of the uh, lutein's. That's what I was talking about. Lutein is uh, present in very high concentrations of potatoes, and the macula of the eye is yellow, which is the color of lutein. And so lutein is concentrated in the macula of the eye, which is the the most acute seeing area of the retina, of the back of the eye. So uh, would rice do it? Yeah, rice will do it. I mean, you're not going to push your eyesight to be any better by choosing potatoes as opposed to rice. Once you get enough lutein, that's enough. And that's one of the things that you need to get over. If you need a little bit, it doesn't mean more is better. Get over it, okay? You know, you need, a, you need a little vitamin C to take care of the jaws. Vitamin C does. You need a, a little thyroid hormone to take care of what the thyroid does. If you give more than what you need, what happens to it? It's either stored or eliminated. Or in the process of being stored or eliminated, it has activities that are undesirable. There's no, no sense in giving more than you need. Fill up all, fill all the receptor sites and then move on. So you've got enough lutein to, to, uh, to make all the pigment in your, in your macula in the back of your eye. What, what happens if you eat more lutein than you need to accomplish all of that? It's, it's probably urinated out of the body. I would guess it's a water-soluble substance. I could be corrected on that. Maybe it's fat-soluble absorbed. Doesn't matter, it's gotta go someplace after it's, 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 it's uh, caused its activity. And it causes overactivity when you give an overdose. Does that make sense? Yep. Cool. Well, that's awesome. This next question is from Bonnie. What is the solution to constant heartburn and indigestion after eating? Oh, I like that one. You have a whole you probably, have, yeah. you probably have a hiatus hernia. That's what I guess you have a hiatal hernia, which is uh, happens. So what happens is the the stomach is pushed up from the abdominal cavity into the thoracic cavity. So it's pushed up through the diaphragm and the hole in the diaphragm through which the esophagus passes is enlarged and a large hole in the muscles called a hernia. So you develop a hiatal hernia. So part of the stomach ends up in the chest. In that case, whenever you lie down, whenever you bend over, whenever you overeat, what happens is you push stomach contents up into the esophagus and it burns, all right? The way you deal with this, well, you can find a surgeon that'll pull your stomach back down into the abdominal cavity, put a couple of stitches in it, and all that may be the one way you wanna go. But I'll tell you the way I would go and the way I'd recommend my patients go is they'd take and eliminate the things that cause indigestion, all right? Meat, dairy, the stomach has to produce a tremendous amount of acid to digest the proteins in either one of these food substances. Uh, oils you know, cause a, a lot of trouble, a lot of uh, uh, difficulty in the intestinal tract. So I would get those out of the diet. There are certain vegetables that I would avoid, uh, raw vegetables of any kind. I'd eat all my food cooked. But in particular, onions, green peppers, cucumbers, and radishes cause terrible indigestion. I can't eat raw onions. It ruins the rest of my day. I have two slices of raw onions. I'm done for the afternoon and in the evening. Finally, I recover the next day because there's a couple of gases that are in the uh, raw onions that are boiled off, by the way. So if you cook the onion, onions, it won't bother you. But in raw onions, there are a couple of gaseous substances that cause horrible indigestion. 
So I'd get any raw food on my diet. I would get onions, green peppers, cucumbers, and radishes out. And, and then what I'd do is I'd raise the head of the bed. Because even though, you know, what you're saying is it happens when you eat. Well, there's some of the time when you spend laying down in bed where gravity can work to your advantage and keep the esophagus in a state of healing uh, when it's not being bathed by stomach acids. And you do that by using gravity. You take, you raise the head of your bed. Boop, boop, boop. I can't get that right. Anyway, you do a, you raise the head of your bed about four inches on blocks so that you are laying at an angle when you sleep at night. Not bent now. Like, you know, that's the bent position, okay? You don't want to do that. But you want to be flat. You want to lie like that four inches of the head of the bed. And that should help. And then the next thing you go on to is you go on to wafer antacids like Tums. You know, there are several different kinds, but Tums is the most common taken because Tums is calcium-based, causes constipation. Malcolm magnesia, which is another antacid, is magnesium-based, would cause diarrhea. So, you know, you're going to have some adverse effects from these uh, these wafer or liquid antacids. And then the next step I would take is I'd use H2 blockers. But almost always just fixing the food, raising the head of your bed is all you need. Nice. Thanks. You have a wonderful book, though, on the whole GI tract, Digestive Tune-Up. I do. I do. It's a, nobody's, nobody's written such a revealing, entertaining book as Dr. McDougall's Digestive Tune-Up. It's a, uh, it's a book about uh, a trip through the intestinal tract involving a couple of my patients. And um, it talks to you about bad breath and gallbladder disease and indigestion and constipation and diverticulosis and hemorrhoids and all kinds of other things that are due to poor function of the intestinal tract. Now, what do you think causes the intestinal tract to have poor function? Come on now, think about it. What could possibly in the whole wide world cause the intestinal tract to be healthy or sick? Come on now, give it some thought. Not too deep. Don't think too deep now. I mean, it could be emotional thoughts. Could be like a lack of tranquilizers. Maybe you're neurotic and we should just give you some tranquilizers. That'll fix your stomach tract. Can you think of any other reason the stomach tract would be sick or healthy? Come on now, anything? Let's move on. Okay. Perfect. Okay. This is from Heidi. And she says that her vitamin D was 11.74, which surprised her as she spends time in the sun. When she used to take the supplements, it was 40. She stopped the supplements several months ago after she heard one of your talks on vitamin D, but her, her doctor said, I need vitamin. Now she's saying B supplements of 10,000 international units daily, or I will have issues with my bones later on. She's 52 and 20 pounds overweight, but overall healthy. Well, all I can tell you is taking doses of vitamin D greater than a thousand international units a day can be toxic. You know, when you get into really high doses, uh, you increase your risk of falls and fractures. And how high does that have to be? I'm worried that doses that people typically take of 5,000 units a day is enough for them to get into a situation where they're having an increased risk of fractures and falls. So uh, vitamin D blood levels are um, not reliable. Uh, Medicare stopped paying for vitamin D screening tests in March of this year. Okay, the uh, uh, Medicare uh, 
So Med Medicare stopped paying for the screening tests. It was, I think it was Medicare. And the United States Preventative Task Force on Medicine doesn't re recommend uh, testing for vitamin D anymore. Anyway, I, I have I have the data on that in a new slide presentation I, I give, but it's not supported by government organizations or any enthusiasm in the medical profession. It's only supported with in the professions, so, you know, the laboratories that do the vitamin D tests, the doctors who order the vitamin D, the people who sell the vitamin D supplements, they're all making money. They're, they're the ones that support you paying attention to this and having your test done. The tests are unreliable. Uh, you know, I'd give you the example of how in Hawaii, they looked at people who spend an average of 28 hours in the sun a day. And many of them are surfers. And, and that, they, excuse me, 28 hours a week, not a day, 28 hours of sunshine a week. And uh, they looked at them and half the people flunked the vitamin D test. That much sunshine, 28 hours a, a week. You know, I know Mary did a test on vitamin D. She flunked it. It wasn't as low as yours. As low as yours is concerning you know, when it comes to 11 international units. First thing I do is repeat it. And I think you said you, you've done it a couple of times. So, you know, that may be enough to decide you have a problem. The next thing I think about is, are you overweight? She said because 20, she did say 20 pounds. Well, vitamin D is a fat soluble vitamin. So body fat sucks it up. So it artificially lowers the vitamin D in the blood. The other thing is, is do you have any chronic illnesses? Are you like, do you have rheumatoid arthritis or other autoimmune diseases? Uh, obesity would be one of those diseases, diabetes. When you have chronic inflammation, then one of the byproducts of inflammation, one of the proteins that's made, suppresses the activity or suppresses the a level of vitamin D in, in the bloodstream. So as long as you're chronically ill, you don't get an accurate level. So start off with, first of all, you should never be checking them. You know, it's called the sunshine vitamin. You should be out in the sun. You should be getting plenty of sun. And if you're not, if you're not the next best choice is a tanning booth that's set for sunshine ultraviolet radiation. That's the next best. Then after that, you would take fewer than a thousand international units of D a day. And that would cover all bases. Um, you know, you can't, you're not going to miss by doing those, those things. But uh, yeah, you you know repeat the vitamin D level, see what happens when you correct those issues. I never heard you say that if you're overweight, it sucks up the vitamin D before. Well, it's 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 a fat soluble vitamin. You know this because your vitamin D levels last all year long. So what you get on your two weeks in summer vacation reflects your vitamin D levels all year. So if you spend your two weeks in the sun in Hawaii in the summer and you get a nice bit of sunshine that will reflect how much your vitamin D levels are the rest of the year. It's fast why it was so, it's stored in the, in the body fat. They, they've determined this in submariners, uh, people who take these atomic subs under the ice caps for like 14 months and they have no sun exposure at all. And they measure the vitamin D levels and they find that it, it, the half-life I believe is every three months. The vitamin D levels are cut in half every, which gives them plenty of vitamin D through the whole year. No problem at all, you, you know. So it's stored in body fat, and the fatter you are, the more you're you're going to have the capacity to store vitamin D. Interesting. Here's a really fun question from Kathy. You, it might be a different answer now than when you lived in uh, Santa Rosa, but she says, "What do you give trick or treaters on Halloween? I can't have candy in the house. Apples will be tossed away, and toothbrushes will get my house egged." 
All right, I get it. I understand. Well, you know, I can only think back of, of kids and grandkids when we used to deal with it. We gave out Halloween candy. I, I don't know what I we tried to get some healthier candy. I know we did that. I can't remember what brand we got. But yeah, you know, look, this is a holiday, okay? You know, people throughout ages, uh, throughout all of history, have had festival occasions when they've done things unusual. They've they've danced in the streets. They've taken off their clothes. They've had, you know, unusual relationships. You know, they've celebrated the birth of something. You know, they're called holidays, all right? They're like Easter and Christmas and Thanksgiving and your birthday. You know, that's what got me in trouble with the vegans is to tell them you could have rich foods on special occasions. I still say that. You know, maybe I would say you should have rich vegan foods on these special occasions, which is what I would do at most. You know, I think that would be a, 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 an answer that was more close to what I would say today. Yeah, but, you know, the rest of the population, well, look, we're talking about 90% of the people don't want to be vegan, okay? They, they find it an offensive term. So what are you going to do? You're just going to cast them aside and say, well, heck with them. They, they, won't, they won't buy into my vegan idea. Or should I let the planet go to hell by, you know, or by convincing them to do a better than they're doing? You eat half the animals you're eating right now. Will you please, world? You know, I don't, I'm not into this religion of veganism. I know, I know you're upset with me because you want me to be a vegan. Well, I am. <laughs> All practicality, I have been for 40 years, better vegan than 99% of you. Even those of you who said you're vegan. I even have a car that has vegan seats and steering wheel in it. Top that one, huh? Nice. Well, what about toys? What I had, about I had to wait? I had the first time I bought this car, I had to wait three weeks to get the vegan seats. And I said, I'm I don't want the leader leather, leather ones. I'm done, man. I'm gonna wait three weeks or whatever time. Maybe it could have been three months. But I wanted vegan seats. And so I delayed getting the car for, you know, probably three months. I think it was three months I had to wait. These days, that's all they sell is vegan seats in, in the car that I buy. Nice. Well, what about toys, like from Oriental Trader? You know, do kids like toys these days? Or I don't know. They, they like candy. I don't. I, don't. I mean, look, Halloween is a, a time of the year when you go around, you beg candy from people. <laughs> my advice is so long way you? geez you know if you want to have turkey on thanksgiving you know if i read her question well, she's just go down as a bad person in my book if i'm understanding her question she can't have candy in the house because maybe it's a trigger so maybe there's a type of candy she doesn't like because i just buy something i really don't like that's vegan oh. so. That's that they then the kids don't like it, and then you're really yeah. in trouble. Well, no, they they did. It was like jelly beans, it was like jelly belly jelly beans. Uh, so I can't eat the that kind of food, and so it didn't bother me. And we only bought enough. Mary, do you know what we used to give out on Thanksgiving or on Halloween? Uh, Halloween. I don't know. She's yeah, she's she doesn't remember, but we we gave out something healthier, you know, peanut butter bars or something. Yeah. Well, also, or you could just go out that night and turn your lights off and just go to the movies. And but I was going to say, that's what we do these days. You know, these days, we haven't had kids in the house for 15, 15, 20 years. 
it's been a while. So these days we just turn off the lights. We don't bother. We don't, we don't, we don't, we are not in a trick or treat neighborhood. Yeah, so I unfortunately am now. So we'll figure out. Actually, I have a class that night, so I'm off the hook. So this yeah. question is from Sandra, and she says, Dr. McDougall, I would like some clarification on drinking silicon-rich water, such as Fiji, to help eliminate aluminum from the body. I believe you said eight ounces a day is enough. Does it matter if it's on an empty stomach or with food? Should I drink it all at once or throughout the day? I drink filtered tap water the rest of the day. Are there any guidelines, or can I just drink it whenever I want? Well, I think you can drink it whenever you want. And it's silica, not silicon. That's what she wrote. I'm just reading what she wrote, but okay, thanks. All right, it's silica. It's a difference. And you'll find silica drinking waters. You know, there, there has been uh, some clarification I've gotten on this whole silica thing. And you know, I, I presented it correctly when I gave you the presentation about it being an organic silica compound called silica. And, uh, you know, I, I still have to have in my own mind some clarification of what's going on, but I'm pretty confident the silica waters that are being sold fit the criteria that's discussed, which uh, it has 86 milligrams per uh, per bottle. Okay, that's that's what you remember the brand of water I showed. It wasn't Fiji, wasn't it Fiji? That was Fiji, it was Fiji, thank you. Yeah. It had 86 milligrams per bottle. And you had to, they had did studies where 10 milligrams per day was enough to show changes in Alzheimer's patients. So, uh, you know, I, I think the research is weak, but it doesn't do any harm. It doesn't cost you anything. And there's enough science there to say if this will do you more good than harm. So, you know, there hasn't been a lot of debate on it because there's not been a lot of economic consequences to making decisions. Believe me, you know, when the silica water companies take over a uh, portion of the, what is it, Limbic? Liquimbi, Liquimbi, that's the new drug for Alzheimer's, Liquimbi. Until they start hitting that market, which is $26,000 a year for a drug that barely does anything, except give you a 20% chance of having a brain bleed and brain edema. That's what Quimby does for you, these new Alzheimer's drugs. So anyway, when the silica bottled water industry gets into competition, starts taking a, uh, a cut in the Quimby business, $26,000 a year per patient. Then there's going to be a lot of research on the subject, a lot of spinning going on and so on. But for now, I think you should believe that. So I wouldn't give it, I wouldn't present it to you if I didn't think it was worth you knowing that one bottle of Fiji water has 86 milligrams of silica and you need 10 milligrams a day to reduce, to help unburden your body of aluminum. So I, I, don't, I don't know whether you're drinking it with meals or drinking it all day long and makes any difference. I, I don't know that. But later on when they do the studies, when they get really concerned about silica water, those Limbic, Limbic people, they're gonna get really upset they're going, to, they're going to make sure that you know how wonderful their product is, how inadequate the Fiji water is. They'll do that. We have some big flashy ads at some place for you. Cool. It's business. Thank you. This is from Joe. What do you and Mary think of using microwave ovens for cooking? I use my microwave for almost every meal. Well, you know, microwave, you don't want to have a leaky microwave. 
And you can actually buy testers that test the microwave that is leaking from your oven. Might be a good idea. Particularly if you have a pacemaker, they say that, I don't know whether it bothers pacemakers or not, but there's been a whole bunch of rumors. See, the microwave oven has been suspicious because it's new age, age technology. But in studies comparing cooking with microwave as opposed to conventional radiant heat, there's no difference in the quality of, of nutrients. Uh, we use microwave in our home, I don't, I don't think ever for cooking, but it's only because of Mary's cooking techniques. I mean, if we have a prepackaged meal, which we do on occasion, then uh, we'll put it in the microwave, but uh, it's mostly for heating things, heating our tea in the morning and heating uh, you know, packaged meals or leftovers from the night before, you know, leftover soup and bread and so on. It's really a common thing for us to stick for a couple, you know, 30 seconds, 60 seconds in the microwave. So yeah, we find a microwave very convenient. We'd hate to be without one. In fact, we own two of them. So. Yep, thank you. And this is from, is this from Andrea says, what do you think about CBD such as CBD oil in tea or CBD sparkling water? I've heard good things since it doesn't have THC so it doesn't get you high, but I'm wary of any substance and haven't seen much research on its effect. You know, you're asking the wrong person. You know, I have not made it one of my medical issues to study marijuana or the effects of cannabis on people, THC or CBD or any of the other alkaloids. Uh, just not my interest uh, in terms of of study or becoming an expert. So I, I you probably know more about it than I do. Uh, you know, I'm certainly, I come from the 70s where the consequence of uh, marijuana was jail. And believe me, that those kind of thoughts don't leave easily. I'm sure many of you out there that are my age group, the first thing you think about marijuana is uh, you're going to get in trouble. It's illegal. It's not. You know, it's legal in good share of the states across the country. They're talking about negative federally legal because it does maybe more good than harm. Certainly, there's some adverse effects. I mean, the smoking alone is irritating the lungs. It will likely lead to emphysema. So, um, you know, and as far as it's ranking in order of harmful drugs, I've seen as a doctor, it's it's way low as far as it's harm caused. Compared to alcohol, it's basically almost nothing. So that's about all I know about it. Cool. I just saw a question here. Hold but, on. But, 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 you know, anyway, yeah, fine. Let's go on to another hey. topic. I'm still from the 70s. I'm still from the 70s. I hate to talk about marijuana or any illicit drugs because, you know, basically that's how we lived our life in fear. Oh, gosh. The government from persecuting people for using plants. But that's that was the age and it hasn't, you know, the memory hasn't left me. It's still a stain on my cortex. Funny. is associated. I don't know whether you can relate to this or not, but... Yeah. Uh, Here's another GI question, a topic you know so much about from Nancy. What might be the cause of a gallbladder with a slow ejection fraction? And how might I speed it up on an HID scan, HIDA scan minus 10? Normal is 35 to 75. Well, you know what I'm going to say. <laughs> you know, the consistency of the fluid in the gallbladder depends upon what you eat. The gallbladder stores. Um, the 
excretory and metabolic products of the liver. So the liver takes blood from the whole body, all right? And the blood goes through the liver. It is a purifying organ. It takes out uh, toxic substances. In addition, it's an organ of where it makes uh, metabolic substances such as bile acids. And it excretes things that are toxic from the body, including cholesterol. Okay, so the liver deals with all these things, cholesterol, poisonous elements, and the production of bile acids. And that all gets dumped into the gallbladder. The gallbladder is a sack for storage. See, from the liver, you have a tube called the common bile duct, which goes down into the small intestine. And what it does is it uh, causes bile acids to go in the intestine and to digest the fats. That's what bile acids do is they digest fats. Well, between meals, when you don't have food in your intestine, it would be good to have a storage sack. And that storage sack's the gallbladder. So there's a sphincter called ODI, O-D-I, and he or she closes down at the intestinal wall. So it closes down, so the fluid backs up into the gallbladder, and it's stored there. And depending upon the composition of the gallbladder and the health of the gallbladder muscles, will depend upon how well the squirting mechanism works, how, how forcefully it can squirt the bile out of the, out of the gallbladder. And if you have a sick gallbladder, inflamed gallbladder, or you have a viscous fluid in the gallbladder fluid, then you're going to have trouble getting this to squirt out. And that's what the test measures. It measures a not a healthy gallbladder, not a healthy constituents of the gallbladder fluid. So how do you fix that, huh? Well, every doctor knows, or they should. I mean, I'm sure 95% of them do know this, that gallstones are due to supersaturation of the bile with cholesterol. Gallstones are made of cholesterol. Yeah, and how many people have gallstones? Well, about 40, 50% of women in their 40s. So what happens if you don't eat cholesterol? You make some cholesterol, but you're able to get rid of that cholesterol. The liver can handle that. But if when you eat it, it can't handle the extra. So it has to store it. Well, some of it is in gallbladder stall or in gall, excuse me, gallbladder fluid, which is excreted from the body into the toilet. But other is stored in the arteries and in the skin and in the tendons. So you have heart attacks and you have uh, xanthomas and, and xanthelasma and other things that are due to cholesterol deposits in various parts of the body. So uh, if you want your gallbladder to squirt better, you need to make the gallbladder muscle healthier and the fluid less viscous. And you know how to do that, right? Maybe we should take a second and tell people what I'm talking about in terms of diet. The diet I recommend is this, it's two sentences, okay? And it always goes by, you know, I like to precede these two sentences by a statement that, you know, I've learned in life's lessons. And that is that truth is simple and easy to explain. Okay. The McDougall diet is a diet based on starches with the addition of fruits and vegetables. One sentence. The McDougall diet does not contain animal, animal parts of any kind and no free oils, two sentences. So it's a starch, it's, you know, you have things like 
rice and corn and beans and oatmeal and bread and pasta and you know fruits and vegetables they're, they're things you love anyways you just throw a bunch of dead animals in it because you think that makes it better it doesn't it's disgusting that's funny. drink a bottle drink a glass of olive oil for me once will you please and i'll just run across this slide because we're getting ready for on uh getting ready for the presentation next sunday and uh one of the challenges I've had for people who said, "Well, I can't give up my olive oil." Oh, I said, "Here's a glass of olive oil. You know, it's only four ounces. Drink it. You can't. You'll be in the bathroom throwing up by the end of two ounces. It's disgusting. The oils are disgusting. But why best. do people say it's delicious and they love it so much? Well, it's it's because the oil acts, acts as a vehicle." to get the sugar to stick to the donuts and the salt to stick to the French fries and potato chips. That's why they use it. It's the only reason they put it on. You know, they certainly don't need to add more calories. 46% of the people in Saudi Arabia, the women, 46% are obese. They don't need more fat to wear. So, you know, they, they, but you know, Chef AJ, they've tried you know, in my lifetime to make fat-free chips. You know, I've, I've never seen fat-free french fries, but fat-free chips. Well, I guess dry, dry, uh, uh, what are they, the kind of cooking you use, a, a freeze dryer or something, I don't know what it is. What kind of cooking is that? It's, uh, what, what do you mean, what kind of cooking? Well, you, is use, it? You, you, you and Mary differ on, you, you use a certain type of, of heat oven to cook things dry. Oh, you mean like the air fryer? The air fryer? Air fryer there you go. Oh, I love you, it. You can, make, you can make French fries with the air fryer, so you know how to do it. But they never become popular. You know, salt, uh, oilless potato chips have never become popular. So there must be a mouthfeel, a, a familiarity that causes people to go back to things that make them die, sick, stinky, greasy, obese. I don't know. Okay, right. I think you're going to like this question. Yeah. Oh, well, every time I, I, you know, I'm going to get my hair cut before I go to this presentation on Sunday. And every time I go to the hairdresser, I, I will ask, and I've done this with many hairdressers, I say, have you ever noticed the difference in oiliness of the hair of people? Oh, drastic, they say. You know, of course, my hair is very, very dry on a relative basis. And I said, why do you think that happens? They have no idea. Maybe genetics. The fat you eat is the fat you wear on the skin as well as in on the hair. That rhymes. That rhymes. The fat you eat is the fat you wear on the skin and on the hair. I like it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> anyway, they, they, it is uh, acne's not pretty. I'm sorry. I, I don't think. I mean, you've got a bunch of uh, obese people running around telling you how fat is beautiful. I don't think you're going to have a bunch of teenagers running around telling you that these sores all over their face are beautiful. You know, that's that's stretching my imagination too far. You, maybe you can get me to think that it's beautiful to be obese. I don't think so. But maybe you can. But you try and tell me that, uh, that uh, you know, walking around uh, crippled over because your heart is so impaired, you can't go any more than four or five feet. You tell me that's attractive. That's desirable. Having to shoot yourself with insulin every day or Zozempic every day, that makes you more attractive, desirable. I don't think so. Yes. 
but we can have a club there. I think we do. I think we have an Ozempic club worldwide. I know we do. These people brag to each other. They have they have clubs. They they tell people where they can buy this stuff. Wagovi and Ozempic and uh, anyway, yeah, this is a movement. The drug company has to be thrilled, and all you have to do is eat potatoes and rice and corn. It, nobody believes it until they do it and it works. Always works. That's the thing. It's, it's not like I have to say, well, you know, 70% of you can expect benefits. No, I don't have to say that. I can say 100% of you should expect benefits. You know, you got to be coming from a bad place. I hate it. I used to hate it when people would come to my office and they would have a complaint. And the first thing they start out with, just like a couple of the callers do, first thing they start out with, I've followed the McDougal diet strictly for 40 years. Now, Will you fix A, B, or C? And I'll go, it just kind of blew my whole my whole performance. That's all I know is the food. Now I go, you know, I I have to resort back to some of my original training to figure out some, you know, tricks of the trade to, to help you with some other options. But most of my most of my uh medicine is food. Food doesn't work, you know. I uh I don't like the rest of the the rest of the bunch of doctors. I got this one food card. <laughs> Happens to be a big one, though. What do you say to people and say, I tried a vegan or a plant-based diet and I got sick or it failed me? Are they just not doing it right or are there some uh, exceptions? You know, again, a, a plant-based diet needs a lot of things. I think I've told you about, I think I talked about last night on the show. We do a show every Sunday night, by the way. If you, The link is in the chat. Yeah. On Sunday night, Mary and I had to get together at five o'clock Pacific time. Every Sunday night. So we talked about we talked about my friend Jeff. I didn't give you his last name, but I know it. Uh, Jeff, who was my intern, and this is the first vegan I ever knew. And um, he didn't. I mean, he didn't. He would. He. I'm serious. He wouldn't kill a fly. No, that joke is I wouldn't kill a fly. Well, he wouldn't kill a fly. He, he wore uh, nylon belts and plastic shoes. He was a pure vegan. And Jeff, who was my friend and my intern when I was a resident at the Queens Medical Center. I suppose you could look it up and figure out who he was. He was fat and greasy and with a full of acne. Because his diet, his vegan diet, was a diet of chips, potato chips, you know, the greasy ones, and Coca-Cola. That's what he lived on. So don't, don't talk to me about a vegan diet. I don't know what a vegan diet is. You can talk to me about a starch-based diet with fruits and vegetables, which easily can and should be vegan but i don't know what a vegan diet is you know is it fake cheese and and uh tofu hot dogs you know throwing a little bit of corn oil that's why i don't call it a vegan diet i don't call it a vegetarian diet i don't call it a whole food plant-based whole whatever you call it a starch-based diet, right? Because that's what you need to eat is starch. Why waste words? Words are so precious. Why would you waste words when they don't describe exactly what you want somebody to do? This is a starch-based meal plan. You eat most of your food is starch. Rice, corn, potatoes, beans, pastas, breads, oatmeal, things you love. Yep. You're going to love this question then because it's sort of um, interesting because of what you just said from Tanya. She said, Dr. McDougall, 
how many vegetables are minimum per day that you'd recommend? I love veggies and I've been eating maximum weight loss without sugar, oil, salt for over 12 years. And I used to eat four to six pounds of veggies per day because I truly love them. That said, I have a severe pelvic organ prolapse and I find that the bulky diet I eat is making my symptoms so much worse. I find some relief if I stick mostly to wet starches like sweet steamed sweet potatoes or potatoes with no or very minimal veggies during the day and try to limit my veggies to the evening meal. That amounts to me only eating one to one and a half pounds of veggie per day at most. Is this sufficient? Is it okay to eat mostly starches? Do the McDougals ever eat starch only meals with no vegetables? Rarely, almost always like we had baked potatoes two nights ago with uh, broccoli. So Mary usually fixes uh, green yellow. How much do we have? I probably had three, three florets and broccoli. Really? That's so, that's, that's interesting. Just three little. Yeah, and the rest was, the rest was baked potato. Uh, you can live on underground storage organs alone. These are, are plant parts that grow below the ground. They're like sweet potatoes, bulbs, potatoes, corns, roots. They have all the vitamin C and vitamin A that you need. Above ground storage organs, in other words, they grow above the ground, uh, would be legumes, you know, your beans, peas, and lentils, and your grains like corn and wheat and rice and so on. Above ground storage organs are deficient in vitamin A and C. So you have to add enough A and C. And I will tell you, you can accomplish that easily by a slice of orange a day a flower out of broccoli a day. Once you've supplied all of the raw material you need, why would you add more than you need? It's not gonna push the machinery any harder. Okay, uh, you know, I, I, I like to give the analogy of a car. I used to work on car engines with my dad. He's big into the automobile. And we rebuilt an engine. Actually, we rebuilt it. We had to uh, replace the cylinders and two, two spark plugs for every cylinder. But all we needed was 12 spark plugs for six cylinders. What if I drilled an extra hole in the, uh, the engine crankcase and stuck an extra plug, spark plug in it? I mean, after all, it just takes two spark plugs to ignite all of the fuel in a cylinder. What if I put a third spark plug in? I already ignited all the fuel with two spark plugs. What if I put a third one in? I would have a hole in the cylinder is what I'd have, a totally non-functional hole. At best, it may be a weak area that allows the cylinder to burst. So once you get enough A and C from say the little bit of orange or a little bit of broccoli, what's it gonna accomplish by eating a pound and a half of anything? You've already supplied the raw materials. Get on with it. You can't force the system to work better than it's ideally designed to work. Once you give it the raw materials it needs, it performs like it should. Just like 12 spark plugs in a six-cylinder engine. You know, 18 doesn't make it work any better. So anyway, I, I would say that the other thing is intestinal problems are a big deal for people who eat non-starchy green and yellow vegetables like broccoli and cauliflower and kale and lettuce. You get grumbly stomach. They're, they're uncomfortable. You know, I, it's it's hard. It's a really tough time to convince people that what they need to eat mostly is starch. That's why I've sacrificed everything by calling it a starch-based diet. 
you know, I, my editors came to me when I wrote the book in 2011, we published it, and they said, you're cutting off your nose to spite your face by calling it the starch solution. I said, I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to do that because I need to use the proper words to communicate to people what they should do. I'm not going to call this a whole food plant-based diet. Whole food plant-based diet. What is that? Kale and broccoli and a couple of pears. <laughs> you know, excuse me. This is a starch base. All populations of people have lived on starch. They needed the energy. They needed the protein, the vitamins, the minerals. They could only get that by eating starch. Well, comfortably by eating starch. On a daily basis, on a weekly basis, on a yearly basis by eating starch. They may, they may be able to get along for a while. No, I don't think so. I'm, you know, the ground can't produce enough green and yellow vegetables to supply the calorie needs of our population. Only starch can do that. You're not gonna be able to go grow enough broccoli to feed the world or kale. Where are you gonna get the calories from? You get it from starch. Anyway, that's, you're, 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 you've identified the source of your intestinal trouble. Now you need to take action. Get the starch in the diet, get it to be, well, I say 90%. Mary says 70%. But see, I'm looking at it from a little different point of view than she is. I'm looking at it from the calories consumed. She's just looking at the the the, the, the gross food on the plate. She's looking at the, you know, the size of the broccoli or the size of the potato. And then she says, well, it's really 70%. But most of it's starch. 90%. So go for 90%. Then you won't miss. Good. Thank you. Here's an interesting question from Terry. Why is seafood so bad? I love crab, lobster, and shrimp. Yeah. Well, do you like it without the salty butter and the uh, spicy cocktail sauce on it? I mean, do you eat it plain? I don't think so. You know, in my days of eating uh, sea life, most of it was not so pleasant. Do you, you ever heard of the term a fishy smell? <laughs> okay, why do you think that the terminology has become commonplace? A fishy smell, a fish odor. It's because it stinks. You got to cover it up to make it palatable. Or it could be very bland. You know, a lot of the shellfish are quite bland in their taste. So when you say you really like eating crab and lobster, et cetera, do you really? Or do you like the cocktail sauce? If you just like the cocktail sauce, then put it over lettuce. It'd be just as good. Anyway, we got a problem here, and that is that we have lost the oceans. Uh, back when I was a kid, I, when I was 12 years old, I started scuba diving with my dad. And at that time, you know, the, there were a lot of fish. And today they report that 90% of the sea life is gone. I've enjoyed the ocean tremendously. I've been scuba diving, I've been windsurfing, I've been sailing ocean going sailboats you know i've just really loved the ocean and i'm i i miss it and what i hear out there is things are really terrible 
So stop eating the fish. But if you don't have that attitude, you're still going to eat the fish. You better hurry up and get it because it's almost gone. And pretty soon you're not going to be able to afford it or find it. Because it's been wiped off the planet. Hmm. Thank you. Here's a question from an 80-year-old uh, person uh, named Lupi. And she says, what do you do for terrible and constant pain and inflammation in every joint? She's had no dairy, no gluten, no animal products for years, but her adrenals cannot enough cortisol. She can't get off prednisone when she cuts down on biologics. Pain is unbearable. Yeah, what well, do you, do? you know, AJ, I, she, she may be... Uh, uh, a failure in terms of dietary approaches to autoimmune diseases. And these inflammatory arthritis, which is what she has, no matter what else she calls it, it's an inflammatory arthritis. These are diseases only of Western civilization. They, don't, they didn't occur at one time in rural Africa, for example, or rural Asia. There just weren't any. When they started eating the Western diet, they became, well, I'm not sure they're epidemic yet, but they're pretty darn common. So uh, until you have done what I recommend, uh, you cannot declare yourself a failure. So you start out with a basic McDougal diet, and at the same time, you go on a gluten-free diet, just to cover two bases, because gluten causes the gut to become leaky. So you go on the McDougal diet, starches, vegetables, and fruits without wheat, barley, and rye. And then the next step is to go on the elimination diet. And that's described in my May 2014 newsletter. Towards the end, it talks to you about the diet that's as least likely to cause you inflammatory arthritis. You need to follow this diet for four months before you declare defeat. Four months. That's nothing compared to the decades you've gone through with suffering with the drugs, with the pain, the expense, side effects. Four months. So you go on the elimination diet for four months. It tells you how to add things back, et cetera. And at the end of four months, yeah, you can declare yourself a failure or a non-cure or whatever. But there aren't going to be many of you. Most of you will be very pleased with the results you've got. Now, the other thing you have to consider is there is probably a tremendous amount of destruction that has occurred in the past decades from your inflammation. So you've got crooked joints. You've got damaged joints. They're not going to go back. They're not going to straighten out. They're not going to be like you were when you were a little girl. It's not going to happen. They're going to stay crooked. They're going to stay deformed. They're going to stay probably painful. But there won't be any inflammation in them. You won't see the red hot joints that you did before. That's the difference. So, you know, why don't you give that a try and give us a call back in four months. Let us know how you've done. This is all described. In fact, there's a nice video that AJ and I did uh, called McDougall and Autoimmune Diseases that tells you exactly what to do there. It's on YouTube. Yep. Most of the subjects, thanks to uh, Chef AJ, we went through a, a campaign last year where I asked her, I said, can we present McDougall's medicine? And I did this for the first time with Chef AJ and you folks. You provided the audience that was so necessary for me to to give a lecture. I don't talk well in front of a plain screen. I like to, even though you're a little bit farther away than a plain screen, I at least know you're there and listening. So I gave uh, about 10 lectures on heart disease, diabetes, cancer, obesity, et cetera. And they're on the website and you can watch all those. That's McDougall's Medicine. What I've done is I've refined those. 
and I've gotten them down to five two-hour lectures, and uh, they're good, and they're for sale. Uh, you can buy them on our website, and they're called McDougal's Medicine, a challenging second opinion. It's my life's work. You know, it's uh, 50, 58 years of medicine for me. It tells you how I take care of people, and if that's the way you like to be cared for, what you do is you get this information either free on YouTube or you get the series, and you sit down with your doctor and say, look, doc, I'll pay you a thousand bucks to watch this. I mean, you're going to charge me 30000 for an angioplasty. You're going to charge me 300000 for open heart surgery. I'll give you a thousand bucks to watch this video. And you tell me I should have heart surgery. I guarantee you they won't. Or they'll lie. And you'll have all the evidence to catch them in their lies. So. Anyway, that's the service I've tried to provide. Thank you. This is an interesting question from Angela, and she's wondering if her being too thin could have contributed to her diagnosis of osteopenia. She says she's 5'4 and 95 pounds. She's been following the McDougal diet for 20 years and is wondering if um, this the, the thin weight, the low weight could contribute to that diagnosis that was diagnosed through a DEXA scan. Yes. 52. Yeah. Fish is 52. Okay. Yeah, it could. Uh, being trim, you would get a lower value on a DEXA scan because you don't have the body fat for the, the protons to go through. Uh, also, being thin, you have a lower amount of estrogen in your body. But what you have to understand is that the bone mineral density test just tests the number of minerals, the amount of minerals in your body. It doesn't test the strength of the bones, it doesn't test directly whether or not you're going to have a fracture. It's just a loose association between the bone mineral density test results and your risk of a fracture. And let me tell you how, how it works and it works against you. Uh, yes, if you are younger, in other words, you have estrogens produced by your ovaries, you'll have stronger bones. And then when you go through menopause, your ovaries quit working and your estrogen production is decreased. So you end up having weaker bones. That's why older women have osteoporosis. But it's not as dramatic of an effect as you'd expect. In other words, God does not abandon women and give them a set of bones that are so fragile that they wouldn't last for a lifetime. That's not the way it is. What changes is the amount of mineral in your bones, and it's supposed to change. You'll find all this information if you go to the website, look under hot topics, uh, you look under medical topics, you look under osteoporosis. The first article is all about this. And what it talks about is how when you're in your reproductive years, you store about two pounds of mineral in your bones for the baby, you know, for to grow the fetus, to feed the baby with breast milk, two pounds of mineral you store. In the matrix of the bone, it acts as a storage depot. Now, if you have more matrix, you're likely to have more calcium because you got more places for it to be stored. But the strength of the bone doesn't depend upon the amount of mineral directly. Strength of the bone has to do with the fibrous tissue, the, the tissue that's made of protein and sugars and you know some fats. And it's, it's just, it's tissue. You know, the example that I give that helps people understand this is. You know, remember when you were in school and you're, you're old enough, you're, you're in school and they had a blackboard and you wrote on the blackboard using chalk. Chalk is pure calcium carbonate. 
What, what happened when you push too hard on the chalkboard with your chalk? Course is splintered into it all crumbles. kinds of yeah. Well, see, that's that's what the high mineral density will offer you is a is a highly fragmented bone or a highly fragile bone. Well, remember the days when you used to go to Kentucky Fried Chicken and you'd finish uh, chewing all the flesh off the wing and or the leg and you had a bone in your hand. You know you did, and you could bend it and twist it, and maybe even tie it in a knot. It was so flexible and strong. See, that's tissue. That tissue can stay with you in good health for a lifetime. As I said, God didn't design women to last 85 years and have them fall apart at 52. That's not the way the plan works. So what do you do? Well, you do the things that people are supposed to do that cause them to have better health. You get a little exercise, not dangerously, you know, safe, moderate exercise. Get some sunshine, absolutely crucial. And you eat a low acid diet because the acid in meat and dairy products causes the bones to dissolve, they really dissolve. I mean, the tissue dissolves. You actually find the tissue in the urine, not just the calcium, you find the tissue in the urine. So you dissolve this uh, organ that supplies alkaline material to neutralize the acid, that's how you get osteoporosis. So stop doing those things. Anyway, uh, there are reasons for you to have a lone bone neural density test. One, you have low estrogen. Two, you've been through menopause. You're 52 years old, so estrogen is even lower. Three, you're thin. So you're going to have a lower reading because you're thin. So I think you're, at, you're looking at a test that is causing you more harm than good, the test is. Uh, what are you going to do about it? You're going to take drugs that increase your risk of, of uh, fractures increase your risk of bone necrosis in the jaw, decreases your risk of, uh, well, all kinds of side effects of these bisphosphonates. Cool. This is kind of a fun question from Nadine. Dr. McDougall, can you explain exactly what happens inside your body after you eat a big portion of pizza or a Big Mac and fries along with a chocolate shake? <laughs> Well, you're asking me to remember 50 years ago. I think the last time I had that, I was uh, 26 or 27 years old, probably 26. So it's probably 50 years ago. So I don't remember. No, but I, I think she means like physiologically, like what happens. Because oh, I'm like, you know, well, you, get, you, get all this, you get all this grease all over your body for one thing. You know, there, 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 it's, it's, it's my, my whole discussion of what goes on in the body. I can't even, I don't know where to start. Do you start with the poor circulation of the brain? Do you start with supplying aluminum to the brain so it develops Alzheimer's? Do you, do you supply uh, fat and cholesterol on the arteries to clog them all up? You, you're eating a whole bunch more protein than you should eat, which damages the kidneys and the liver. I mean, where, where do you start? I don't know where to start. But you see, this is the problem, AJ is you don't die after a single meal of a whole pepperoni pizza or a double cheeseburger. This is slow death. I mean, if you drop dead from a heart attack after one bite, you wouldn't do that. It's just like with smoking. You know, it takes 40, 50 years to give you lung cancer or emphysema that kills you. If you ended up on a respirator after the first cigarette, you wouldn't do it. Same thing with alcohol. Every time you took a drink, you fell down, you cracked your skull open, you wouldn't do it. See, most of the time you stay upright, so you think it's not harmful. It's slow death. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. I may, I'm probably missing the question because I can't give you the yeah, answer. You know what I think? 
think she means is, well, do you remember when Dr. Clapper talked about when he was an anesthesiologist and one night he had to draw the blood himself and the patient literally had just had a fast food meal. And when he got it in the tube, he could just see like, it was just like all fat. No. Well, that that came from a a documentary that was done at my program at St. Lena Hospital. That was from a documentary, Dr. Clapper and I, and uh, I think John Robbins was involved in that. What we did is we filmed uh, my time at St. Lena Hospital and the hospital. And during that presentation, Dr. Clapper showed, I don't know if it was from our lab or, or you know, a video that you buy, but it showed the uh, formation of blood fats that occur as soon as you take the syringe out, out of the arm. You do this, you, you know, you take blood from a person, all right? You draw the blood, it looks red. Well, even be, even, well, probably, you know, even before they take the uh, the needle out of your arm, you start to form a little layer of blood, of fat on top, but you don't notice it. Whereas somebody with really high triglycerides, before they take the needle out of the arm, the bottom half is red, which is blood cells, and the top half is greasy yellow, it's fat. Now, now after a time, you set the blood, even your blood, on the counter, and you let the blood cells settle by gravity, to the bottom of the test tube, then you see this layer of fat. And the more fat that you eat, the bigger the layer. So maybe that's what you're talking about. Anyways, that was a video done uh, at my clinic that we did 30, 40 years ago. Yeah, that was really interesting. Here's an interesting question about triglycerides from John, because he says he wants to stay um, on the dietary principles you recommend, but that his job has a lot more physical activity than most. He is, I believe, a drummer. He's 5'10", 155 pounds with great blood pressure. And he needs for the energy a lot more fruit that you recommend. He takes five to 10 servings of fruit. And because he's a personal trainer and a professional drummer, he's physically active all day. So he needs more simple carbs to function optimally in the form of fruit and table sugar. However, he has higher triglycerides when he eats that much fruit of 160 to 180. Every time he does blood work, when he limits fruit, it goes down to 145. he doesn't know how to be, he has, he's fatigued without all the sugar and fruit. So the question is, is can he lower his triglycerides in any other way? And how harmful it is, is it to have higher triglycerides? If somebody- triglycerides triglycerides are an associated observation with an increased risk of heart disease. It's not a strong association. It's not like cholesterol. You know, cholesterol is very predictive of your chance of having heart disease. Triglycerides, not so predictive. So that's a problem. Also, really, really high triglycerides, uh, you know, like in the 1,000, 2,000 range, will sludge the blood so severely that you get pancreatitis. could be fatal. So that could be a problem. I'm assuming that he's looking at triglyceride levels that are going up uh, 30, 40, 50, 100 points. Well, he that happens that- after you eat one meal. Hmm? 180 was was the number. And when he when he limits fruit, it's 145. Yeah, well, see, that's all with a normal range. What he's doing is he's, he's, it's like you go to school and you get an A plus on your report card. You know, you got an A plus plus. No, not really. It's not even that kind of associate. You got an A on your report card with both values, 140, 180. Below 200 is on most lab tests, perfectly normal. The fact that when you eat, they naturally go up, they go up when I eat, they go up when AJ eats, everybody eats. 
particularly if you eat sugars, it'll go up. And fats, you know, fats will cause the triglycerides to go up too. He was saying okay. he had about two, one to two ounces of nuts and seeds a day as well. Well, he needs the calories. Yeah. I assume he's a trim person. You know, I eat nuts he every said day. Five, he said five, five, 10, 155. Yeah, he's pretty, he's pretty good. He's about thesis. Well, I'm a little lighter than he is, but not much. Anyway, um, yeah. I, I think he's doing everything right. He's just, he's worrying about details that don't deserve his attention. He's working within the physiologic bombs, boundaries of, of, of his own active life. And, uh, you know, like when we took care of uh, Monica Sellis, the, the tennis seed, she was number one in the world. Back about 20 years ago, Mary and Heather went over to England, to Wimbledon to take care of her. And uh, I had to make her a drink that she could use on the tennis court. The drink was a kind of a Kool-Aid made of D-glucose because that's what athletes use, runners, et cetera, to replace their sugar that you need to run to play tennis. Or you take Carl Lewis. Carl Lewis was my patient when he set the record for the 100-meter dash, fastest man in the world. Now, Carl Lewis set the records for three long jumps that I think still are records today. One marathon says an old man, he was in his 30s. The relay races he won in his 30s. So uh, he followed the McDougal diet, but we had to add extra calories because, I mean, I don't, I can't imagine you have physical activity any greater than the, the fastest man in the world, Carl Lewis running all day long with practice and then running competitive races on many occasions. Uh, you can't imagine your needs are any less or any more than his. No. So you need to add a little simple sugar to your diet, big deal. Nuts and seeds, uh, keep the fat on, big deal. You have big calorie demands. Well, you know what they say, a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine. Well, sugar, sugar is, is tasty for a real important reason. We need sugar to survive. That's why our creator put the taste buds for sugar on the tip of the tongue. Right next to these taste buds, he put taste buds for starch. Yes, they're independent taste buds for starch. They don't taste simple sugars, you know, like out of fruit or table sugar. They taste the sugars that are complexed into long chains called starch. They taste the sugars in potatoes and rice and corn, and they love them. On the tip of the tongue, they love them. That's why they put it at the tip of the tongue, so you'd go seek them. You are a seeker of sugar and starch. You have a taste bud on your tongue that re is repulsive when it comes to fat. If you can taste fat, you won't eat it. That's what that taste bud says. If you can't taste it, then you eat it and you get fat. Yeah, that's what was put on the tip of your tongue. The tip, the Aren't you impressed with how the human body is made? We've never stopped to think. I mean, as a doctor, I'm confronted with this all day long. The miracles, every step of the way, every 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 organ, every cell, every internal mechanism. I, I'm just overwhelmed by what a creation we live in. If we, as a species, survive for another ten thousand years, in ten thousand years we won't have this organism figured out yet. I don't believe. How do I know? <laughs> It's just so complex. It's so beautiful. It's just amazing. It always works. And if you know the basic stuff, everything else follows. 
if you are a believer that the human body was made correctly, you have to start there. If you, if you start out with the idea that people are genetic defects, like doctors are taught to do. I mean, think about it. You go see your doctor. Your doctor says your problems are inherited. In other words, you're a genetic defect. Get out of my office. I can't fix genetic defects. <laughs> if you start with that attitude, how can you help people? You have to start out with the attitude that people are a, an amazing design and that everything works right and there's a purpose for everything. There's no mistakes. And then you have to figure out what keeps this organism working well. Well, the, the, uh, the, the uh, development of the plant kingdom over, what, 400, I don't know, I'm not even going to guess, lots of, long time, okay, billions of years. The development of the plant, the plant kingdom to support the animal life is one of the miracles of nature. And so I have to believe everything's there in plants because I don't know all the details. And so if you believe that and you believe that walking around a little bit's good for you and believe sunshine's good for you, it's always there, then you got the three rules that work. Clean air, clean food, clean water, four principles, and sunshine. You don't have to know anything else. But if you believe otherwise, you won't get well. You believe there's something wrong with you, you won't get well. There's nothing wrong with you. It's just that you're following the wrong set of rules. I, I can prove it to you in 12 days. Sure, I can. Remember next, the program. Next program's in October. It is. We're only running a couple this year because we're so busy. So it's, they're going to fill up. But maybe next year we'll run some more. It depends on how Heather, you know, she's got kids and, you know, it's a lot of work for her. A lot of work for the whole staff. And so, you know, we love giving them. We love putting the programs on, but it's just come to the, to the point where we'll have to add some programs. I know we will. We will. We'll add some. But in the meantime, it's free on the website. Or you can listen to Chef AJ. I tell you everything. <laughs> I hold nothing bad. That's free. <laughs> Thanks. Here, here's a question from Tiffany. Do you know we were going to stop in an hour. I know, but we can't. It's so much All fun. Right, keep going. And, keep going. And, and you know what, Dr. McDougall? These are questions from way back when, because normally you give a presentation, and so we don't have time for these questions. So I'm sure All the right. people right. are okay. appreciating this because we email them when your question is answered. That's a service we have here. Well, let's be sure to stop at 12, okay? Okay, I promise, because that's lunchtime. Tiffany says, do you have any specific recommendations for water retention and swelling? I have an autoimmune disease that seems to be an ongoing issue. So she's wondering if you have any foods you recommend for that. Well, let's start with the drugs. Drugs cause fluid retention, like, for example, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, uh, steroids, corticosteroids. Uh, I would have to look up what the newer drugs uh, cause as far as monoclonal antibody drugs, the new ones that are out there. And the, you know, there's a whole bunch of natural killer cell inhibitors, uh, a whole bunch of new drugs out for rheumatoid arthritis, inflammatory problems that I'd have to look up. I'd look up any drugs that she was on to see whether or not they cause uh, swelling. Uh, some swelling is due to salt. So you might cut way back in salt. You know, I know this from my experiences flying on airplanes. I used to order a salty tomato juice and I had you know trouble getting my shoes on at the end of the flight. So you cut way back on your salt intake. You improve your circulation by eating a healthy diet. 
you know, you have problems with your circulation uh, from the fat that you eat. So that would help. Uh, you may have had uh, you may have had damage to your venous system through years of eating the Western diet. And you so you don't have good venous return. You got varicose veins, and you get swelling for that. You, know, you may have had an operation, like for example, uh, women get lymphedema in the arm that was operated on for the breast cancer. You know, was, uh, but I assume we're talking about generalized swelling. I think if you, you just follow a good diet, get a little exercise, and sunshine. If it's going to correct, it'll correct. Just keep the salt out of your diet. Make sure you've checked your drugs out. Make sure they don't have uh, swelling or edema as an adverse effect. I mean, but most of you don't need to be on the drugs that you're on, even if you don't change your diet. Yeah, I know that as a practicing doctor, you shouldn't have been put them on in the first place. The diabetic drugs, most of the blood pressure drugs, the cholesterol drugs, you know, you, know, you should never prescribe them. And by the way, in time, each of the categories of drugs I've mentioned, the recommendations have been less glowing in fact, we started out with uh, with a message from the statin industry about cholesterol that we ought to put statins in the drinking water. Now we're down to the point where we're not sure anybody should be taking statins. Maybe those people are really, really, really sick, and that's all. But certainly not people who have generally good health. The typical Americans, they shouldn't be on them. So you know, uh, most of the drugs you don't need to be on. That that uh, you know, I'm not talking about changing your diet. And then you change your diet, and you've gotten rid of another big bucket of drugs because you've cured the cholesterol, cured the blood pressure, cured the diabetes, which you'll do, by the way, when you change your diet, go for a walk and get some sunshine. Mom, where's the gimmick? Come on, give me the gimmick. <laughs> well, you know, Chef AJ and I, we got some special tinctures that are coming out. We're going to be selling you. Them. Only work when you eat potatoes. So for each $10.95 tincture bottle that you buy from us, you get to eat one baked potato. Cool. Distilled water. That's all we're giving them. Distilled, distilled water. We're not even going to put vitamins and minerals in it. We're going to really, we're going to ultimately gonna sell, sell them the, the, the gift that gives nothing. <laughs> oh, don't you ever wish you did start selling supplements, you know, with your photo? Yeah, there, there, there's, there's some thought to that. Uh, I think the name of the company. Anyway, they had a, a, a compressed fruit. Do you remember what it was? It was really popular, AJ. About, was it, Mary? Juice Plus. Juice Plus. Oh, yeah. They, they wanted you to be a distributor? Yeah. yeah. They, I mean, there was like two or, two or three owners. And they asked me to get involved. And I said, nah, violates my principles. So I probably lost a billion dollars from that one. No, I'm not joking. I probably lost a billion dollars. So, but I have no regrets. Uh, I could have probably found a way to spend a billion, but I don't, I'm not sure. I, I don't. I don't think so. I yeah. You know, like like you know, when it comes to vitamins, when you've had enough, you've had enough. What do you need? What do you need a bunch of money for to stick in the bank that doesn't do you any good? Huh? Right, Mary. <laughs> Mary says, no, I got to pay the bills. <laughs> so I have an idea for a marketing thing. How about like a bottle that looks like, you know, a pill bottle and it says McDougal's medicine and you open it up and it's a potato. <laughs> How about just distilled water? Yeah, exactly. That's funny. 
Okay, who do we have next? Oh, this is interesting because she says her name is Diane from Sacramento. So Diane, some of your questions can be answered in person. We have a conference in Sacramento that's it's sold out, but I think we're going to open up a few more seats on December 17th. Uh, Dr. John Scharfenberg speaking. Remember him, Dr. McGill? No, I asked. He's going to be 100 this year. We're going to have a birthday party for him in person. I would love for you to come. He's such a lovely man. Yeah, well, he's in the Netflix. Nice... Have you seen the Netflix documentary Dan Butner's? He's in that Living to 100. We're in the process of watching it right now, so no, I haven't seen it. He's in the episode I... where they they talk about the Seventh Day Adventist in Loma Linda. Yeah, we're we're on we're on episode one of that. Yeah, nice. That was that's we'll, we'll finish it out and see him. But yeah, John Sharpenberg and I were I knew him when I was uh, 25 years old. Yeah. So we were friends for probably 10 years. Yeah, he's. It, it would just kind of grow apart because geographically we grow apart. Yeah, he's yeah so he wrote. He wrote a statement on my first book, the McDougal Plan. Right. Look at the McDougal Plan on the back of the book. John Sharpenberg wrote a wrote an endorsement. And believe right. me, back in those days, it was few and far between to get endorsements of a, a vegetarian diet. So I had I had to uh, be very thankful I had a friend like John Sharpenberg. Yeah, he's something. He is sharp as a tack. He drives a little red sports car. He's it's Does he still drive? Yeah, he drives. He prefers not to drive at night, but he will. But it's this is adorable little red sports car. You know, he doesn't eat dinner, though. It's so hard to socialize with him because as an Adventist, he can't, he's Friday night to Saturday night is out. And so he doesn't eat dinner. So we got to do lunches. Yeah. Well, he's, he's a, a, a pillar of truth. So yeah, he, I'm glad friendship he likes you he's remarkable so anyway a diane from sacramento says i've been diabetic for 10 years and take insulin i'm in my 70s would i be able to selfly safely go on the mcdougal diet how would insulin handle so many carbs eaten i think she should do the mcdougal program in october and she'd get guidance on how to do this yeah yeah you really need some you, really, you can find a doctor in the community that will take take care of you Say, you know, she didn't tell me whether she was thin or obese or overweight, you know, but I get a pretty good guess as to whether people need insulin based upon what they tell me, their history. You know, if they've had a history of having type 1 diabetes, that's important. If they're thin, that's important because I think they're more likely in need of insulin with both of those circumstances. So after a little discussion with them, uh, I will ask them first night, first, first meeting of the program. I'll ask them to reduce drastically or to stop their insulin. Now, for every type 1 diabetic, I reduce the insulin dose by a third to a half. Okay? In other words, you're only taking a half to two-thirds of what you did take. If I didn't do that, you're likely to become hypoglycemic and fall over in your mashed potatoes. So you reduce the insulin the first night because the diet makes the insulin work more efficiently. And uh, then what we do is we see how things happen the next couple of days because, you know, the small doses of insulin will cover the basic issues. The body needs about 40 units of insulin a day. That's all. And uh, anyway, uh, even if you're totally insulin deprived, 40 units of insulin is going to supply, supply it. Uh, so you you check the next couple of days, see how they're doing. If they're having low sugar reactions, which they usually do, we reduce the insulin even faster and then stop the insulin completely. Sometimes I'll stop the insulin completely the first night. 
But again, I've done doing this for a long time. I always stop all the diabetic pills, always. And I leave them on insulin if it's necessary, if I think it's necessary. If they have type two, I'm sure they have type two, then we stop all the drugs the first day. If they're type one and a half, which means they may need some supplemental insulin, then we go a little bit more cautiously. And if they're type one, in other words, they don't have any insulin production in their pancreas, they absolutely must have insulin. They'll die. So again, you know, we're 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 ready to help you with the 12-day program. So if you want to have Dr. Lim's advice and my overseeing what's going on, then join us for October. But if it doesn't work out for time and finances, I understand. Everything you need to do is free on the website. And I just told you how I take care of my patients. You talk to your doctor about he or she takes care of their patients. Yeah, it would be a learning experience for your doctor, you think. So if some doctor was comfortable about being a better doctor, that's another thing that disturbs me terribly is the reaction I get from some of my colleagues you know where they take the attitude is uh, we're not gonna we're not gonna accept any evidence that's not, not double blind controlled experiments. Well, the only time the only thing you can double blind control is drugs. How can you blind food? You can't. So actually, anything about food is out the picture. We won't accept it as evidence. My colleagues tell me that we will only accept research done that's done based on double blind controlled experience. You can only blind drugs. You see, you put some capsules with a placebo in it, like you know, table sugar, and another capsule with the drug in it. And you can't tell which capsules, they're blinded. And you give them to people, you see the reaction. Well, when you take the attitude, the only acceptable experiments are those that are double blind controlled, then how are you gonna study food? How can you make the food blind? Anyway, that's the attitude I get from Milan. But if you have a doctor who says, look, I think food's important. I'd like to learn about it. Well, the resource I'd send them to is me. I put these five lectures together for your doctor, primarily. McDougall's Medicine, a challenging second opinion. You know, buy it, buy it for your doctor as a gift for Christmas. Believe me, you'll get the money back probably in the first time you get into trouble and, and don't because your doctor knows how to take care of you. You know, it's interesting, this question from Jackie, because I, I always listen to your Sunday night show, maybe not right at five, but always, you know, within 24 hours. And you talked about D-Manos and she's saying uh, what to do about chronic UTIs uh, because she heard that low estrogen levels can contribute. Well, you know, I, I've uh, tried to use estrogen to help women with those kind of problems, and I, I've not had much success. But it's certainly something to try. You try a vaginal estrogen cream, which uh, they have actually, pills now. They have pills now that are less goopy. Yeah, they have, they have vaginal tablets. Yeah. yeah, same thing. But anyway, you could try that and see if it helps. And I don't think there's any harm. Any harmful. I prescribe estrogen, topical estrogens, tablets or creams, to the skin and the vagina. I think they're quite valuable for women who want to fool other mother nature. Mother nature, look, mother nature. I don't want to get into that. But anyway, those of you who want to have sex after 50 may want to avail yourself to estrogens because it will make the vagina stronger. Uh, all right, let's see. 
What was the question again? Um, chronic UTI, because last night oh, D-Manos came yeah, up. Yeah, the question came up about D-Manos, and it kind of caught me off guard because I didn't remember what D-Manos was, uh, but I did finally. And uh, it's it's the sugar that's present in blackberries and cranberries, or all fruits, but concentrating those. And I've been using that my whole career to treat urinary tract infections. Yeah. So, yeah, I would I would use it. And then somebody sent me a double-blind control trial of using D-manos as capsules. And it worked? It, it yeah, was it successful? Worked. Yeah. Yeah, but why would you take the capsules when you've got the fruit or the fruit juice? Or, you know, especially if you're going to be doing it a lot. I don't know. I guess, you know, there's a place for the capsules. Yeah. Well, it's, it's also a little powder that you can take. That would be the D-manos, you know. Yeah. And it's not expensive. Yeah, give it a try. Yeah, give it a try. It's probably easy. It's probably easier than taking a, a whole bottle full of cranberry juice, which is what you have to do. Now that's hard, and I see no reason not to take the D-manos pills. So, you know that's settled. I've used it for fifty years in the form of cranberry juice and blackberry juice. Cool. All right. This is from Kim, and she says. Are there just certain people who will always need to consume a low fiber diet because of chronic gut issues? She's had uh, IBSD for around seven years and has done a lot of ruling out of things, elimination, reintroduction, FODMAPs, et cetera. And she seems to react to everything. Well, not that I found. You know, I, I, I've not found anybody that benefits from a low fiber diet or particularly the low fiber nature of the Western diet. Uh, I've taken care of people who have intermittent bowel obstructions. There's a big deal. They've had radiation or they've had uh, surgery that causes adhesions so that their gut gets twisted and the, the flow of remnants of the food is stopped and they become obstructed. And they'll have to have an NG tube, nasogastric tube down their nose for a day or two or three or four to try and get the ball to resolve itself and to get the swelling down so it starts flowing again. And if that doesn't work, sometimes they go in and they do surgery to, 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 to help a problem that was caused by surgery. But anyway, the typical recommendation is for these people to eat no or low fiber. And I've had a chance to take care of a few, not a lot, uh, maybe a dozen people in my career and I put them on the McDougal diet they didn't have any more bowel obstructions. And I think there's some literature that supports what I have to say. I'd have to look back and try and remember. But uh, I, I've even on that circumstance of intermittent bowel obstruction, I always prescribe. Now, it could be that you're reacting adversely to some of the foods. Well, beans, peas, and lentils cause lots of gas. Don't eat them. You know, that's not part of a bowel-friendly diet when you have cramps and gas is to eat a gaseous food. Start with something simple. Start with, uh, you know, potatoes and water or potatoes and a, a little bit of fruit or vegetable and see how that goes for, say, the next 10 days. And uh, you might be surprised, but until you do that test of eating simple, high-fiber food, then you really haven't declared yourself incurable. So, so give it a try. And people are mixed up about fiber. Let me just end with this. They think fiber is like the bristles of a broom. In other words, scratches all the way through your intestinal tract. That's not what fiber is. Fiber is microscopic molecules. You can't hardly see them under a microscope. 
Okay, they're 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 sugars that are you can't see you can't see it as far as I can remember you can't see a sugar molecule except under an electron microscope. These are microscopic sugars. They don't scratch your bowel. They just persist in the transition of the food from the mouth to the anus. They persist, they're not digested. They're the same as starch. It's the same sugars that make up starch, but the linkages between the glucoses are not digestible by the human tract. So the non-digestible carbohydrates, chains of sugar are called fiber. The digestible ones that have linkages that are broken up and you free the sugars to use are called starch. Amylose and amylopectin is the other name. You, you talked about bowel obstructions um, or intestinal obstructions and a different viewer named Pilar said that eating only cooked and peeled vegetables, she got very constipated and does eating raw fiber like salads, can, can these cause intestinal obstructions? I don't, I don't, I don't know that it can. I, I know it causes just from people telling me a lot of grumbling in their stomach, a lot of gas and indigestion in the intestinal tract, but I don't, I don't know that it causes obstruction. Yep. Nice. Are you familiar with lipedema? Lipedema. Lymphedema is the stuff you get, say, when they do breast cancer surgery. That's most commonly the word comes out. Lymphedema. She's they take out the lymph nodes. Hmm? Yeah, but she said it's there's lipedema is confused with lymphedema. I, are there oh, two? Yeah. Oh, lipedema. Well, lipedemia is the fat in the blood. She said limp, limp, lipedema most often involves the buttocks, thighs, and calves. Um, well, how about how about uh, Hey Mary, is it a what real? Is it, is it a real thing? I, I talk about the mattress and how it causes the dimpling in the thighs. What is it called? Cellulose. Cellulose. It's called cellulose. Cellulose. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, it fixes. It fixes whatever you call it. Lipidemia. It's called cell. In my mind, it's cellulose. And what it is is this: is you get this dimpling effect on the buttocks and thighs. And the reason you get a dimpling effect, it's uh, similar to the way a mattress works. You know, the, the bedding mattress is it's got this stuffing, which is the fat. And it's got these uh, uh, fibrous connections between the sheets of mattress. You know, they've, they've got these, uh, I don't know, there's a name for them, I'm sure, that, that uh, they keep the mattress from becoming a big bulge. You know, they, they stick the, the two areas together. And so... As a, uh, by having these plugs that are in your mattress and the connection between the front and the back, they prevent the the mattress from you know becoming totally disformed. Instead, you have something that looks like cellulose. That's because you've got fibrous threads between your skin and the underlying tissues that act like a mattress. And when you lose the fat, then you aren't overstuffing the mattress anymore, and the cellulose goes away. Always goes away. That was your question. Yeah. Well, she was worried, Wendy, that lipedema could lead to lymphedema. I don't think so. No, they're not even connected. If I'm thinking of it in the same way in terms of cellulose, a lipedema being cellulose, uh, they have no no connection that I'm aware. Of, except they all are connected to the Western diet, the, the rich Western diet. 
So one sounds like it's more cosmetic. They're, they're totally unrelated. One has to do with the skin and the tendons underneath. The other has to do with the lymph system. The lymph system is a drainage system that, that's in the body, like the veins. They're totally unrelated. I don't, know, I don't know how you'd make any connection between the two. She said she read the Western. Word that one can cause the other. So, okay. Oh, that's not aware of it. It, it, it sounds hey, like... AJ, I learn something every day. And particularly <laughs> on your shows, I always learn something. People are always there questioning me and I, lots of things I don't remember and lots, lots of things I never learned. And there's quite a few things I should have learned. So, But it sounds like the cosmetic one doesn't go away for some people, even when they lose weight, the dimpling. Nah. Cellulose always goes away. I don't know, because I'm skinny now and I kind of have a little, I can't show it to you on the air, but I kind of have a little bit left. I'll show it to you on Sunday. I'll show it to you. Maybe you need to lose an extra five pounds. What do you think? I can't. I'm a BMI's 18. I can't go any lower. Okay. Let me ask you something. If this is fat uh, that is bulging out and there are these strings of mattress material between the the skin and the tendons, why do you think when you lose the fat, you won't go and stuff the mattress? Why do you think that? I don't know. Yeah. Well, you know, you told me your weight. And actually, when I saw it, I thought, you, well, I'm not going to say what I thought, but I'll tell uh, you later. You thought I still needed to lose more weight? No, I'm not saying I, I I love being on your show. I'm not going to say anything like that. Um, the, there, Dr. Lyle said I shouldn't lose any more and maybe even gain three pounds. This is interesting. Well, if you want to get rid of the cellulose. <laughs> Oh my God. Well, I'm going to be going to True North. I'll do a water fast. What do you, th- what do you think that the bulging material is that you're describing on your legs? It's not you bulging. Know? It's not on my legs. It's just on, on one butt cheek and it's it's more like a dimpling. It's not. not oh, really- maybe that's from sitting on one butt cheek too long. You destroyed some of the fat tissues and now they turned into scars. It's just like somebody who's had liposuction. You end up with it, your butt cheeks sucked in. That's what happened. You don't have cellulose. You got the result of sitting on your butt too long. Oh, you're hilarious. Damaging your buttocks. That's what happened to you. I'm going to show it to you on Sunday, and then you can give me your profession. If it's only only a one cheek, it can't be systematic. Okay. All right. It's cellulose. It's got to be in your legs and both buttocks, not just one cheek. Maybe you drive your car just on one cheek, or you sit in front of your computer just on one cheek. I think you destroyed some cheek fat. And now you've got scar tissue in your butt and you're t- telling me it's cellulose. I don't know uh, what it is, but it's unsightly. So when I work- can, we, can we show it to everybody on Sunday night? Well, no, because I don't think Scott Stoll would like that, but I can show it to you privately and Mary being there, of course. So you can see that I'm uh, not crazy. All right. Well, if it needs a medical opinion, I'll be glad to give you one. Okay. You're funny. All right, Jeff AJ. Hey, thank it, you. It's, it's a lot of fun. It, it's been good. Nice to spend the, the holiday with you and, yeah, yeah, and you thank did you great, so much you for catching up on the questions because we were we were getting backlogged on them. So we really appreciate it. Well, I want you to know what a great job you did yesterday. And oh, you know, Hans Dielo came across as the man he he was, mm-hmm. which was a very kind spirit. I mean, if you got to know Hans, you got to know a man that really cared about other people. So yeah. and he was a leader in terms of the message. I once told Hans Deal. Probably the day I interviewed him, which you can see that interview on my website, look up Hans Deal. You'll be impressed. I think I told him, I said, Hans Deal, you saved more lives through a through a good diet, through your chip program, than any other person who's lived on planet Earth. That means me, Nathan Pritikin, 
Campbell, Esselstyn, you name it. He has affected the lives of more people than anybody else I knew Hans Deal did with his CHIP program. And I have no reason to change that statement. I made it 10 years ago. I would make the same statement today. He's a great man. It was a big loss, but that's life. <laughs> it kind of happens. Okay. I hope you have a fun rest of your Labor Day, and I'll see you. Hey, listen, you, didn't answer, you didn't answer my question. What was Write me question? and tell me how I paint out a bright future for my lecture oh, next. I, I don't Sunday. know the answer. I, I don't know the answer. If I did, well, I would. Help me. Help me, and if any of you figure out what I can say positive about the future, I don't want to hear from you climate deniers, okay? Stay home. I don't know any the answer. Any of you have realistic uh, uh, angles on how you can give a positive message to my children and grandchildren about what the future will be, write me and help me. Help me. Uh, goodbye, AJ. Bye. Thank you so much, Dr. McDougall. And thanks all of you for watching another episode of Chef AJ Live. Please come back tomorrow at 11 a.m. Pacific for Straight Talk with Dr. Doug Lyle. We've got some amazing questions. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.